Welcome to Habits You Love, a thought-provoking podcast about self-love, self-healing, and spiritual evolution. I'm Kayla Fazio, the host, and I take you on the journey of my own trauma healing and share real, raw, and authentic life situations. My mission is to expand your mind to what you think is possible for you and provoke thoughts of looking at your own healing you may need and help you discover the power you have within you to start a self-healing journey, build healthy habits and create a life you love. If you haven't already, click the follow button and leave a review. Also check out my website, habitsyoulove.com, where you can find even more resources, healing practices, and support. Now let's get to the episode. Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Habits You Love. I hope you have been enjoying some of the guests that I've had on lately. I know I have loved them. Sometimes when we're in the thick of our own mess, you feel as though you are the only one with problems or you are the only one with issues. You are the only one who everything happens to, but we all go through things. So I'm grateful for the amazing women who have been on the podcast so far, who have been willing to open up and share their failures share their insecurities and shameful parts of their past, but also how they overcame and persevered through them. So I'm excited to share more valuable information, educational stuff for you guys. I have some other guests lined up in the future, so stay tuned for that. That being said, this episode is going to be solely dedicated to a topic that has definitely been intertwined throughout almost every episode I've had thus far, but I figured I would do a whole episode on it because it really is is the foundation of, well, everything. So it's going to be a good one to save and come back to time and time again. It is going to be based on my number one favorite book and number one book recommendation. If anyone ever asks me what a good book is that they should read or a book that changed my life, I always say how to do the work. Hence the name of the episode, but it's How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicole Lapira. She is amazing. I have been following her for years. She is a holistic psychologist, which is actually her Instagram handle as well, the holistic psychologist. And I just love how, honestly, kind of what her name says. Everything she does is a very holistic approach to your self-healing. A lot of her things she does is called self-healers. She has a self-healers circle. So I've just been following her for a really long time and I've seen her evolution and growth. She's now, you know, I I don't know, I think at over 4 million followers, maybe more um, now, but just doing amazing, amazing work and everything that I do as well. So it's just completely aligns following her just it's constantly validating like, yep, yep, been there, done that. (laughs) Like I'm going through that right now. So definitely go and follow her. I'll link all the information about her where you can follow her in the show notes. So have you ever heard someone say, I'm just really working on myself right now, or I'm just doing the work or even I'm doing the inner work right now. (laughs) You have absolutely no idea what that means. I was once like this too. I used to think working on yourself just meant going to the gym and trying to keep up with the latest trends, skincare, youthful practices, you know, mainly just 
physical things, which is work really too. But what we're going to be talking about today is so much more than that. I started doing the work on myself starting in 2019, but really more so in 2020. And I haven't stopped since. The first thing I did was start therapy. I wasn't exactly thrilled to be doing therapy, I must admit. I had gone to a therapist once before in the past in Oklahoma City after my mom had died and while I was still really considering divorce. My experience was that yes, I was able to get things off my chest and have a safe space to share what I was thinking outside of my friends and family who were obviously going to be biased with me and just agree with me, tell me what I wanted to hear. So that's where having a therapist was beneficial for me but it didn't provide me tools to practice in my life outside of that hour. I felt as though it was just a gossip hour where I was paying this woman and we were just like, talk about all my problems. And then I would leave refreshed because I did get some of the thoughts out of my head, yet I was still confused as ever, not knowing how to navigate life. It's really not enough to just talk about what's bothering you or what's triggering you. You have to understand why it's triggering you and take actionable steps to be aware and respond differently than you have been. So when I started therapy in 2019, it was a completely different experience. And it was because I was still very unaware. I was still acting from a place of insecurity, lack of boundaries, and not knowing how to stand up for myself. This really looked like for me, not knowing how to have a constructive conversation. Uh, I would get emotional if I was confronted to talk, even if it wasn't bad. Like I would just get emotional and not know how to communicate or be confronted and I would cry and it was just very embarrassing. I was lashing out and leaving during arguments instead of taking time, taking a pause and coming back and being grounded and being able to talk through those arguments. I didn't want to talk about my feelings and I didn't understand any of my emotions except for anger. I at one point, someone told me the only emotion that you express is anger. Like that's when you like when you're really angry, you really show it. But I wasn't showing opposite of that. I wasn't showing extreme love or compassion or anything like that. So I didn't really understand what that meant. So when I was recommended to go to this therapist, I had heard nothing but great things about her. Her quote office was in her home in Beverly Hills, in the basement of her house where it overlooked the hills with large windows and nothing but green outside. We usually sat on the floor with pillows or went to this table that she had in their room to do some breath work if she could tell that I just needed to lay down and get more centered and more grounded. This was the beginning of me understanding how to do the work. She wanted to know how I got to be the person that I was when I walked through those doors. Everything from my family history to my sexual history to current reality, what my biggest problems are at the moment, everything. We laid it all out. Of course, therapy is always hard at the beginning. It's You just feel like you're dumping and purging and <laughs> just saying all the problems that you have and like obviously all the reasons that you need to be in therapy. Um, so yeah, it did take a couple of the sessions. I would say a couple of weeks to kind of finally get her okay, like understanding where I was coming from, understanding my life and, and just get everything out. But when we really got into it, there would be sessions where I would have to talk 
to the pillows like they were people I needed to tell stuff to that I was holding in. Things I wanted to say to my dad, things I wanted to say to my mom, to exes, things that were buried inside that were really eating me alive. It was very obviously awkward at first. And I just felt like I was like acting in a way. I was like, okay, let me just act this out really quick. But then I really started to take it more seriously. And it actually did really help. We would sometimes do our therapy as walks around the hills. And I remember having to stop multiple times and just have breakdowns and cry and would have to like sit down and like something she would ask me would just trigger me or it would be a very difficult situation or thing to talk about. Or I remember one time we were just talking and I would have to go back and talk to my younger self. And I remember just one time she was just asking me all these details, like, what were you wearing? Like, what did you look like? Your hair? Where were you? And I just really painted this very visual picture of myself as a younger girl. And I remember... (laughs) this leotard that I had that I would always wear all the time. So I just pictured myself in that outfit and I just would have multiple, multiple breakdowns working through my past. So the main theme for me was finding my voice again, that I not only didn't know what it was, but I had stuffed it so far down. I was having to dig it back up and dust it off. There would be sessions where I would go in and she would say when I walked in, I was very gloomy. My eyes were just dark or black. And I was going through a lot of emotional stuff at the same time while I was going to therapy. Like I was in a bad situation. I wasn't in a healthy place to start going to therapy. And obviously there's never going to be a right time to do this work. But it just felt like a double whammy of like, all right, I'm in this like very negative, toxic, stressful, anxiety ridden environment while I have to go and work on my past that is very stressful and anxiety ridden and toxic. So it was just, it was just kind of weird. But she said that I would come in and after the session, she would say my countenance from when I first walked in to when we were done was so different that when I was leaving, it looked like I was glowing or my eyes were brighter and my smile was bigger. And she would just be like, you look like a different person than when you walked in. And you guys, that's simply just from talking, talking about your past, your pain, your struggles, and just getting it out there. I feel like a lot of Well, actually, I know a lot of sickness and disease comes from the stress of holding things in. And so even just within 50 minutes, I just felt so much lighter. And I I really did feel that whenever she would say it. I was like, I feel like what you're saying. Like, I feel like I look different, even though I didn't even know what I was looking like. I didn't even look at myself in the mirror. I just really, really felt what she was saying. So she didn't want me to change from my first day with her and on. She wasn't like, all right, from this day forward, we're going to make sure you change your ways. You know, you're going to, you're going to do things differently, so on and so forth. She wanted to change me, change my experiences all the way up until I had my first session. The practice that we did was called integrative body psychotherapy. So this is a non-invasive somatic psychotherapy that treats the whole person, integrating body, mind, emotions, and spirit, and enabling you to do deeper, more meaningful work. IBP enables you to break through old somatically maintained dysfunctional behavior patterns by reawakening and establishing fully integrated states of well-being and sense of self in the body. So this facilitates a transformation of consciousness at the core of your being. Essentially, we were doing what is called inner child work. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, if you've ever heard it, maybe you've heard the term, but you don't know what it is. And that is what we will get into more 
with this episode. Essentially, I had to go back and heal the parts of my childhood that had been programmed into my subconscious that were hindering my current life. So to paraphrase, the way your life is going for you right now is not by accident, but by behaviors and thought patterns from childhood that steered you in this direction. Nothing is by accident. So this is how and when my work really began. And although there have been tough times, I am forever grateful for the emotional stability I have now and for my therapist for opening up my eyes to this new way of being. So what does the work (laughs) consist of? The work, Um, you know, everyone's like, I'm doing the work on myself. So the cover of this book, actually, it really, really sums it up really nicely. It's called How to Do the Work, subtitle, Recognize Your Patterns, Heal from Your Past, and Create Yourself. It's really about beginning to understand your core beliefs about yourself, identifying conditioned thought patterns, and tuning in into your own intuition in a process of reconnecting with your true self. We all have a true authentic self. Our consciousness actually experiences reality through three main filters. And I'm going to elaborate on each one of these. So it's the ego, the inner child, and then the true or higher authentic self. So these are the things that we'll be discussing today, meeting your inner child, knowing how the ego works and how to ultimately heal to achieve and embody your most authentic self. So how do we get so far away from our authentic selves? We cover it up with layers and layers of years of psychological stress responses in the body over and over and over and over. We're experiencing stress. We're experiencing things. Like I said in previous episodes, it's about the experience that you are having, but the feeling it brings inside your body. So if these are constantly stress feelings, if you're constantly witnessing things that you know how kind of how stress makes you feel, it's like a tensing or it's like a chest pounding or your heart rate's getting up, you have sweaty palms or whatever. If you're constantly witnessing these things growing up, you're covering it with all of these stress responses in your body. You're covering your authentic self and just getting farther and farther away from it. So by not addressing your past, you can remain stuck in frustrating, painful patterns of codependency and self-betrayal. I think these are the two most common things that we see, codependent in relationships or just to other people and self-betrayal or self-sabotage. So the work is small daily commitments and sustainable actions that lead to lasting change. That's really the only way to sum it up is those small daily commitments, being aware 24-7 and the actions that you take that will eventually create lasting change. So to actually change, you have to engage in the work of making new choices every single day. If you want to achieve mental wellness, emotional regulation, and gain control of your thoughts and patterns, you have to be an active daily participant in your own healing. That's the only way this works. It doesn't happen by accident or happenstance or you go to one retreat and you're completely healed. This is a conscious daily active thing that you have to be doing, creating these habits to do every single day. And this was actually very tricky for me. And as I've said before, nothing changes but everything changes. When people think of healing, they may think you, like I said, you have to run off to the woods and be completely secluded and you have to do all these weird spiritual things with like sage and meditation or screaming yoga or be like a monk, but that's not how it is at all. Nothing in your life will really change. You will still drive to the same place of work. You will still have to deal with your kids and your partner. You will still interact with the same people, but 
somehow everything and everyone looks different. You start to understand why that person lashes out at you and you won't get offended or take it personally, but you'll know that it's coming from their own insecurities so you won't react back. Or you will forgive people for their mistakes that they have done in the past and not hold grudges against them. You will feel lighter and start to smile more or you'll advance in your career or attract better partners than your toxic relationships in the past. So the world around you won't change drastically, but everything within you will change and be filled with light and love. I also want to refer back to episode 16 where I shared the steps and signs of your self-healing journey. So that's also a good episode to go back and listen to maybe a preface to this or after you get done with this one. And just a quick reminder about trauma. Trauma is not always obvious. Some of us may say we've never had trauma, but we do. Everyone does in all forms, big or small. Trauma occurs when we consistently betray ourselves for love or we were treated in a way that made us feel unworthy or unacceptable. This results in a severed connection with our true, authentic selves. Trauma creates this fundamental belief that we must betray ourselves in order to survive. So this is really important for parents with young children or older children who may have resentment towards a parent. If you, as a parent or your parent figure, has not healed or even recognized their unresolved trauma, they cannot consciously navigate their own life path, let alone act as like trustworthy guides for someone else, for their children. So it's very common for parent figures to project their own traumas onto their children. So definitely keep this in mind. The first thing you need to do, this is the first thing I did and addressed in my therapy. And this was meeting your inner child or understanding your inner child. So your inner child is a part of your subconscious that has been picking up messages way before it was able to fully process what was going on. You know, when you're a child, there's really no filter. Everything's coming in and it's not labeling good or bad or like, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be doing this. Everything comes in with absolutely zero filter, both mentally and emotionally. So as a child, you don't know something is bad unless someone slaps your hand or tells you no uh, or says, you know, don't do that. That's bad. Don't touch that. All the things. So So you're picking up messages from very, very early on. Your inner child holds emotions, memories, and beliefs from the past, as well as hopes and dreams for the future. According to a psychiatrist, Carl Jung, our inner child is the forgiving, free-spirited part of us that still feels and experiences life as a child. But just as it carries the positive aspects of being a child, like our innocence, our joy, our creativity, it also carries the wounding from the past. So we have to acknowledge and we have to address this childlike version of us. We have to start to heal it so we can get out of the stuckness that we may be feeling in our lives. I know when I started therapy, I felt very stuck. That's exactly how I would describe it. I didn't know how to navigate life. I was trying to deal with my past. I was having a lot of thoughts and emotions creep up from the past, but I didn't know how to express my feelings or emotions. So every day I just felt like I was waking up and hitting a wall because I felt like I couldn't move forward, but I also didn't know how to go backward either. So I was like walking in place hitting a wall every single day. So being stuck is exactly, I think, a place where most people do start to become aware. They start to be like, okay, something is wrong. I need to change. It's that feeling. It's that point of your life when you feel stuck 
and you don't know how to move on. So in order to understand our inner child, we have to also understand our inner child wounds. And these are the consistently unmet emotional, physical, and spiritual needs from our childhood expressed through our subconscious that continue to impact our current self. So it's nearly impossible to fulfill all of the needs of another human being if you're a parent trying to parent a child, especially when both people are dealing with their own resolved traumas. So if you're a parent or you are doing the work and you have parents that you know have not had healing or they've not worked through their traumas, you most definitely have inner child wounds. The majority of us feel unseen, we feel unheard and unloved, and we carry this pain with us throughout our lives. And it actually creates these archetypes of inner child. So in the book, she goes on to explain these seven inner child archetypes. So maybe you can relate with one or more of these. So here are the seven inner child archetypes. Number one, the caretaker typically comes from codependent dynamics, gains a sense of identity and self-worth through neglecting their own needs, believes that the only way to receive love is to cater to others and ignore their own needs. Number two, the overachiever feels seen, heard, and valued through success and achievement, uses external validation as a way to cope with low self-worth, believes that the only way to receive love is through achievement. Number three, the underachiever keeps themselves small, unseen, and beneath their potential due to fear of criticism or shame about failure, takes themselves out of the emotional game before it's even played, believes the only way to receive love is to stay invisible. Number four, the rescuer or the protector ferociously attempts to rescue those around them and attempt to heal from their own vulnerability, especially in childhood, views others as helpless, incapable, and dependent, and derives their love and self-worth from being in a position of power, believes that the only way to receive love is to help others by focusing on their wants and needs and helping them solve their problems. Number five, the life of the party. This is always happy and cheerful comedic person who never shows pain, weakness, or vulnerability. It's likely that this inner child was shamed for their emotional state, believes that the only way to feel okay and receive love is to make sure that everyone around them is happy. Number six, the yes person, drops everything and neglects all needs in the service of others, was likely modeled self-sacrifice in childhood and engaged in deep codependency patterns, much as the caretaker did, believes that the only way to receive love is to be both good and selfless. Number seven, the hero worshiper needs to have a person or guru to follow, likely emerges from an inner child wound made by a caretaker who was perceived as superhuman without faults, believes that the only way to receive love is to reject their own needs and desires and view others as a model to learn how to live. I definitely relate to more than one of these, but what's funny is that I can see which ones my mom also was. And so I think that's really important to acknowledge your parents own inner wounds. Honestly, it's really, it really, really helps your journey. If you can really start to empathize and accept that your parents are actually not perfect or to know that they have wounds too. And they're coming from a place of not knowing how to deal with their own emotions or regulate their emotions. And so that got projected onto you and it's not their fault. It's not your fault. It's just what happened and it's not right or wrong, good or bad. It's just what is. So I think one of the best things that we can do is forgive the people that were responsible for raising us. I know at times when I'm frustrated with life or I don't know how to do something or I'm bad at something or 
someone didn't teach me how to do something that I feel is a very like a necessity of life, I do get mad. Like I just get mad at my parents who are being like, why didn't you show me this? Why didn't you teach me this? Why did you neglect this part of life that I actually needed to know? Um, And I do, I just get mad in that moment of feeling like I wasn't responsible for showing myself this now. And now I have to do it. I feel like I have to do everything. Honestly, I feel like I really, really do have to do everything and teach myself everything. But I have to forgive them because they only knew as much as they knew. And they were only coming from a place of what they knew. So it's not like they were withholding information from me on purpose or to be manipulative, but it's just because they didn't know it themselves. The second most important thing you will do when starting the work is meeting the ego. The ego protects the inner child. It's our sense of self, self self-worth, and personal identity. Not to be confused with when we say someone has a big ego, we are referring to them as being cocky or too confident or selfish. There are many layers to an ego. It's the I or the I am identity. Anything that follows the word I is an extension of the ego. I'm smart. I'm dumb. I'm good. I'm bad. I'm pretty. I'm ugly. How it's connected to the inner child is it is developed in childhood. So it's formed through beliefs and ideas imparted on us by our parents or our caretakers, whoever raised you, our friends, community, teachers, peers, all the above. Ego beliefs don't just come from anywhere or from nothing. They are actually grounded and lived experiences. So you actually have to have lived an experience to start to create an ego story or an ego narrative. It's the ego's job to protect us at all cost, especially our inner child. It's constantly trying to get back to familiar narratives. So even if they are painful, even if these stories are painful or these thoughts are painful or patterns are painful, it's predictable and the ego likes predictable. It wants and tries to keep you safe and uncertainty is not safe. So it really does not like uncertain situations. It wants to again, keep you in that familiar. So you form this identity around lived experiences and the ego tries to protect this narrative and constantly bring you back to it. So the only way I can really kind of picture this for myself and and explain it to you guys is picture an electric wired fence. And this fence is around a piece of property of land around a house that you have built, created and sustained because at one point in time, this is what you wanted. And maybe people made you feel so paranoid that you wanted to feel extra protected. So you got this house, it was like out in the middle of nowhere. And then you built this wire fence around it because you didn't want anything else coming in, right? You wanted to have that comfort and safe space. Then let's say the house then became unlivable and haunted. (laughs) And you realize, you needed to get out. You realize it's actually not safe, not good in the long run, and you want to leave. But you have this wire fence around it that shocks you anytime you try to leave. You know you can get outside the fence. You know it's possible, but it will be painful to go through. The electric shock from the fence will have you questioning yourself, wondering if maybe just staying where you are is more comfortable, albeit scary and haunting. It's better than trying to go through the electric fence. But you keep trying and you keep pursuing this freedom outside of these walls. And although it tried to keep you comfortable, you eventually escape and you can create a whole new house and life 
for yourself on a more beautiful piece of land without an electric wire fence. That's how I see the ego or wanting to change belief patterns. So that's my visual story of the episode. I think I always have some sort of analogy or metaphor. There always like has to be one because I just really want to, uh, for me, I'm just a visual person and I, I need things like dumbed down for me sometimes or be like, okay, so what does this actually look like in my head? And I can start to relate it to to that. So yeah, so your ego obviously being the the fence, so to speak, is it's protecting you, but it also does not want you to leave that space. It's like, this is, this is good. We're good. We're comfortable. You built this. This is who you are. Why would you ever want to leave? So that's really what I see like the ego as is like, it is trying to protect you, not hurt you, but it's also only doing it from a place of the story that you have created. So if we don't address our egos or begin to understand them, it will constantly assert itself, dominate, and the ego will win. This leads to feelings of low self-worth and insecurity. So maybe some of these happen to you. Like if um, a coworker just makes an offhand undermining comment, like does it make your blood boil? Or do you feel the need to be right or have the last word in an argument? Or are you quick to judge or desire to defend, condemn, and win the argument? Or do you get feelings of not being blank enough? So fill in the blank, not good enough, not smart enough, not capable enough, not pretty enough. This is when the ego is activated. So when the ego is activated, everything turns personal to you. And it's almost as though everything that's happening to you happens because of you. So this is why we feel the incessant need to people please or impress others and often why we feel so stuck. Pretty much the ego is like this big scary monster that is actually on your side, but it fights to protect you from anything unknown and only plays along with the narrative you have built around it. I don't think all of us have it this way. I do think there are people who are capable or did have a great childhood with, you know, emotionally regulated parents who encourage them to express their feelings and emotions, and they don't have these negative beliefs about themselves, and their egos really are protecting them from bad things that wouldn't serve them. Whereas I feel most people are opposite because of the lack of emotional regulation in people and in relationships where we mostly have negative beliefs and stories and we really have to fight to change and fight to make our egos trust us that we really want and need higher self-worth thoughts and behaviors and environments. So that's like, for me, I feel like it's a fight. I feel like it's literally an uphill battle. Like I'm dog paddling upstream sometimes. Whereas I feel like it's not that way for everyone, obviously. And I feel like people might not need to do as much ego work as some, but I I feel the majority has it opposite, like has it the way that I do, where they generally have the negative thoughts and patterns and upbringing, and they need to work on their egos more than most people. So how do we work on the ego? The first thing to do is simply just become aware and conscious of your ego and the role it's played in your life. If we exist on autopilot, the ego has the controls. The more conscious you can become, the more you can loosen the grip the ego has on your daily life and existence. So first things first, 
This is the first thing you need to do when it comes to working on the ego. It's actually very simple, but some people might overcomplicate this or think too much into it, read too much into it, and just keep themselves stuck before they even start. But really the first thing you're going to do is sit down in a quiet place with no distractions and take some deep breaths. Then you'll notice the first things that start to come to your mind about yourself. Maybe the thoughts that you're having immediately are, okay, this is silly. You should be cleaning the house right now. This would equal to I'm only worthy if I perform tasks and get things done. So maybe that's your ego immediately going back to you're the, you know, the caretaker. You have to make sure everything's clean and tidy around the house. So when your partner walks in, that's when you feel worthy is if they say, wow, it's so clean. Oh, sweet. I feel worthy because they just complimented how clean the house is. So that's one thing that could be running through your mind. Or maybe it's saying, you know what? I'm just not good at this. This is never going to work for me. This equals to I'm a failure and anything I try, I will not be good at. Therefore, you don't expand or broaden your horizons. I don't know what it will be for you. So just start to notice what thoughts come up as you sit in silence without the TV on, without your phone, without any distractions. The point is to really have no judgment. So you're going into this with like no expectations. No, okay, well, if I start to feel or hear negative thoughts, then I'm just going to stop or I'm a disappointment or, you know, it's just meant to go in with absolutely no judgment, no disappointment about what's going to come up, but just simply observing the thoughts so you can realize the patterns you've been repeating in your thoughts. So this step will actually really, really pull you out of your comfort zone. If you want to think about the wire fence, this is essentially like touching the fence and getting slightly shocked, but you're trying, you're trying and that's a step. The second thing you can do after you've sat down without a distraction, listen to the thoughts, maybe you've even written them down and be like, all right, this is everything that I'm thinking. Is there a pattern here? Maybe you can really start to peel the layers back and get down to a, um, you know, a theme of your thoughts and patterns that you think when you are alone. I think, I think most of us just don't even stop to think, honestly. I think we have actually 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day, but they're, you know, mainly unconscious or they're just 0.5 seconds and they go by. But the thoughts that you have when you are alone in your thoughts, those are the important ones that you really, really need to be aware of. The second thing, and this may sound silly, but you should actually like give your ego a name. So when we do this, we separate ourselves from it. When we can call it a name or refer to it in a third person, we can kind of detach from it. So giving it a name or make something up, you can start to recognize when blank is acting up and just give it a name and say, oh my gosh, this must be blank is acting up and you aren't being in your authentic authenticity or in the present moment, or you recognize these are ego stories that are trying to protect you and they are not what you want your reality to actually be. So when you can separate yourself from them and and be like, okay, I'm having this thought. I'm not my thoughts. This thought isn't who I am. It's trying to protect me. So like, thank you for trying to protect me. And then you can really let go of that thought very quickly. I think most of us let a thought come in and then we hold on to it. We stay stuck in it. And then eventually those thoughts become who we think we are when that's actually not true. You can actually make a thought disappear just as quickly as it comes in. And the more and more you do this, the more and more they don't come back. So third, working on the ego here, as you become more conscious of your ego, recognizing its thought patterns that are labeling you as something and giving it a name to dissociate it, you can start to see that you aren't 
your ego story. Thoughts happen to us. They aren't who we are. So like I just said, and I love saying this quote is it's okay to have thoughts, to have any thoughts. It's okay. What's not okay is to get stuck in them. Thoughts don't mean anything about us. And it's simply our ego attempting to defend our identity and protect us from pain. So you need to be aware of any time you get emotionally activated. This is usually by being uncomfortable or angry. So the third thing is really being aware of any time you get emotionally activated. This is usually when you're like really uncomfortable, you're angry or someone has triggered you, usually by something happening or something someone says to us, anything that triggers us. So an example would be your partner comes home from work and you've spent all day with the kids. You're doing laundry, you're cleaning, and you're trying to get ready dinner for them when they walk through the door. When they do walk in, they say, wow, you look tired. If you have not become aware of your ego or emotions, you will hear the complete opposite of what they just said objectively. And you might respond sarcastically by saying something like, well, of course I look tired. I've been at home all day with screaming kids doing loads of laundry and trying to make a home cooked meal for you while you get to go to work stress-free. Next time, I'll try to look perfectly awake and happy. So does this sound familiar to anyone? What they said was just four words. Wow, you look tired, but you totally misconstrue it because from the ego, you hear something totally wrong. Like what you hear might be, they are always so rude and condescending. They don't acknowledge or appreciate the work I do around the house or how exhausting it is. Again, that's from the ego. And the core emotion here is unworthiness. So not being seen or heard when just objectively, they might've just literally said (laughs) for her thought, you look tired because maybe you did. But when someone says that, it triggers something in you And you immediately go to your ego story of feeling unworthy and not being seen or not being heard or appreciated. So the ego actually prefers to dump painful emotions onto others instead of sit with them. So that's why you react so badly so quickly. It's because it's like, all right, I'm just going to dump this back on them. I'm going to project it back onto them because I don't want to sit with the feelings of it. So to sum up this ego work, number one, sitting with yourself undistracted and notice the thoughts that come up about yourself. Number two, if you want to give your ego a name, that's good too, because you can, it gives you a way to detach from it. So you can say, I know this is blank showing up in my thoughts in my life right now in this current moment. And I, I'm going to release the thoughts and then move on. And then your ego or your name, whatever you call it goes away. And then number three, recognize when you get emotionally activated, what caused it and the core beliefs you feel when something happens or someone triggers you. These are the stories that you need to start to work on and heal. So we've gone through inner child and we've gone through the ego and the ego stories. The ultimate goal and really the final step of your ego work is to become totally conscious and accept your ego. So this state of consciousness, when you're being totally conscious, will help you become aware. And then this will allow you to respond positively and just have better reactions than those knee jerk reactions that you typically have that will hurt you or hurt other people in the moment. These consistent new choices will pave a new path toward the future transformations, more self-awareness, and a better handle on your reactions and emotions. I definitely recommend getting the book because after each chapter, you can find tools and journal prompts that will greatly help with this work. So what do we do with this information? How do we get to our awakening and start to master the work? One of the first things we have to start doing is reparenting ourselves. 
and it's exactly how it sounds. Giving or parenting ourselves with what we needed as children that our parents did not. So for instance, as I've mentioned, my parents met all of our physical needs. We had food, we had clothing, we had shelter, we got to participate in sports, went on vacations, just typical middle-class stuff. But since they had not resolved their trauma and they weren't emotionally stable on their own, they didn't know how to give that away to us or teach us kids how to regulate our emotions. So now in my 30s, I have to act as my own parents and just kind of like tell myself, talk to myself as if I'm talking with someone else to validate my feelings and to learn how to change and reprogram them. Doing the work. It really starts when you wake up to the moment you go to bed, I'll tell you that. Not to say that you're always doing something like 24-7, but it's just the feeling of being more aware of your thoughts, the ego stories, and the reparenting them in the moment. It means getting curious about your thoughts, feelings, and actions. It's asking yourself, okay, what was that about? Like, When you have a thought, feeling, or action that you're not 100% on board with doing the work, it means getting curious about your thoughts, feelings, and actions. It's asking yourself like, okay, what was that about? When you have a thought, when you have a feeling, or an action that you're not 100% on board with. So will doing the work get you 100% on board with yourself? No, probably not likely. The work is a lifelong commitment to yourself and to your life. And trust me, once you get started, there's really no turning back. You really can't unsee an epiphany. You just can't. Like we get to the point of having epiphanies or revelations by doing the work. This work led to mine, whatever you want to call it an awakening and a revelation and epiphany, but it has completely changed the way I go about my life. I set boundaries. I let go of things or people that drain my energy. And I really only choose and make decisions for my highest, true, authentic self. One psychologist actually found that these awakenings usually have three common elements. Number one, they often emerge from a state of inner turmoil. Number two, they often occur in a natural setting. Number three, they often connect us to some kind of spiritual practice. So I relate mostly to numbers one and three. I mean, mine started out in a serious time of desperation and number one, the inner turmoil and has now created a whole daily practice that I partake in 24 seven. So an awakening or whatever you want to call it, is a rebirth of the self that involves tearing down the parts of you you were when you lived in an unconscious autopilot state of existence. I do have to warn you though, being conscious in an unconscious world can be freaking hard. It's very uncomfortable. It could be, oh, it could just really be like, you just want to judge everyone. You just want to be like, what are you thinking? If you only knew, right? And I think if you get together with conscious people, they'll all say the same thing. Once you're conscious, it's really hard to hang out with unconscious people. But Most of the world is not, and people will not understand you most of the time. Mine occurred during a time of extreme emotional emotional stress. I was so off balance, mind, body, and soul. What I thought were current struggles were actually old struggles creeping back up and dominating my current reality. So I felt like I had no choice but to address those that had gotten so far out of hand that were actually my normal, but it wasn't normal. It wasn't good. It was just the normal that I knew. I think a lot of people are aware of this, but they just aren't 
aware of the just the complete control that they have on themselves. It's very common for people to be at a place like this in life. I think every single person goes through this, but they want to change and they want to feel better, but they think just going to a doctor and getting on medicine is the only way when it's really not. I've never been on any prescriptions. I feel as though everyone is their own best medicine. We have the ability to heal ourselves naturally and holistically through awareness and thought alone not by a manufactured pill that alters our state of being temporarily. So if you're thinking awakenings or healings only come from one profound experience, like like a monk in a monastery, or you're naked in the wilderness, or after a three-hour sweaty session of kundalini yoga, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Spiritual evolution happens right where you are, wherever that is. And usually it's very messy. But by doing the work, You heal the mind, the body, and the soul. You regain the ability to connect with the greater universe that is all around you. Once you peel back the layers you have veiled yourself in, you can connect with the most purest, most authentic part of yourself. You'll have better relationships. You'll have deeper conversations. You won't take anything personally and judgments and grudges start to fall away. You can reach out to your community in an open state of receptiveness. As you heal yourself, you heal the world around you. Thanks for listening. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.